The first reading is from Habakkuk, some verses from the first two chapters. The oracle that the prophet Habakkuk saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not listen, or cry to you violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see wrongdoing and look at trouble? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law becomes slack and justice never prevails. The wicked surround the righteous. Therefore judgment comes forth perverted. Then the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets so that a runner may read it. For there is still a vision for the appointed time. It speaks of the end and does not lie. If it seems to tarry, wait for it. It will surely come, it will not delay. Look at the proud. Their spirit is not right in them, but the righteous live by their faith. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Amen. The second reading is a few verses from chapter 3 of Habakkuk, a prayer of the prophet Habakkuk. O Lord, I have heard of your renown, and I stand in awe, O Lord, of your work. In our own time, revive it. In our own time, make it known. In wrath, may you remember mercy. God came from Timon, the Holy One from Mount Paran. Selah, his glory, covered the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise. The brightness was like the sun. Rays came forth from his hand where his power lay hidden. Before him went pestilence, and plague followed close behind. He stopped and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. The eternal mountains were shattered. Along his ancient pathways, the everlasting hills sank low. Though the fig tree does not blossom and no fruit is on the vines, though the produce of the olive fails and the fields yield no food, though the flock is cut off from the fold and there is no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will exult in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer and makes me tread upon the heights. Amen. May the words of my lips and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Unlike mathematicians, preachers are not usually required to show their working, so to speak. Although those of you who um, engage with my online sermon scripts may notice that they do have footnotes so that I can keep track and show what I've been reading in preparation. But I do think it's helpful sometimes for those listening to a sermon to know that the person preaching is also a student learning from the wisdom of others. So for our engagement with Habakkuk this morning, I want to acknowledge my debt to Juliana Clarsen's writing on this book. 
She is Professor in Old Testament at Stellenbosch University in South Africa and has a particular focus on human dignity and female resistance. Sometimes it's good for you to know what I've been reading. Well, I don't know about you, but I haven't spent much time with the writings of the prophet Habakkuk over the years. I have to say, when the uh, narrative lectionary threw this one up for this Sunday, I had to go away and have a bit of a think about it and read some of Juliana Clarkson's wonderful writing on it. Um, but it was something of a surprise to me to discover that at, at one particular midpoint in the 20th century, the book of Habakkuk was actually classified on the list of dangerous literature. Come back with me to the 1940s, to 1940 to be specific, the early years of the Second World War. And a church in Basel in Switzerland published a column, uh, a kind of newspaper column, under the title, Word on the Current Situation and it included an excerpt from the prophet Habakkuk. And the military censors banned the newspaper because they viewed this text as a critique of the Nazi regime at the time. I want us to hold on to this moment because I'll come back to it later. Habakkuk is a dangerous text because it is a book that inspires defiance. It is a book that inspires resistance. So come back with me a bit further. Its origins are found in an exceedingly traumatic point in the history of Israel. The year is about 605 BCE. Not long before this point, the mighty Assyrian Empire had sort of swept in from the north and uh, destroying one city after another, it had brutally killed vast swathes of the population of northern Israel. So if you can imagine Israel as this kind of long strip of land between the Jordan and the Mediterranean and some of the lands in Transjordan, uh, many of the northern lands were uh, conquered and, and largely wiped out by the Assyrian invasion. So uh, after the Assyrian invasion, Israel shrank really to just the southern kingdom of Judah down in the south, which includes uh, Jerusalem and, and Bethlehem and, you know, those kinds of lands down there. Very much the area that some of us were in quite recently on our trip to, uh, to the Holy Land. Um, and what happened was as the Assyrian power began to wane, as empires tend to give way to other empires, the growing empire now in 605 was the threat from the Babylonian empire. So um, you've got the Assyrians had wiped out the north and then the Babylonians are growing and there's a clear threat now that the Babylonians are going to do to the southern kingdom of Judah what the, what the Assyrians had already done to the northern kingdoms. Um, in uh, Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 6, which is outside of our um, selected verses for this morning, we dig a little hint that helps us specifically contextualise um, this, this little book, because it references a, a battle which is known by historians as the Battle of Carchemish. This is where um, 
the Babylonian army defeated the army of the Egyptian pharaoh. So uh, the Babylonians were on the march and they'd already engaged in battle with Egypt. And the Battle of Carchemish marks the point when King Jehoiakim of Judah, um, the, 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 the Judah king, decides it would be prudent to start paying tribute to Babylon in the hope of avoiding confrontation or invasion. So you get the sense that this is a politically fraught and violent time and politics are hanging on a knife edge. We know that not long after Habakkuk was written, the Babylonians under King Nebuchadnezzar did indeed attack Judah, three times laying siege to Jerusalem, taking the leaders and the skilled citizens, uh, the kind of the middle classes and above, into exile in Babylon. Um, and this is what becomes the Babylonian exile experience for the people of Israel. And in 587 BCE, about 20 years after Habakkuk was written, the Babylonians destroy both the city and the temple in Jerusalem. As Habakkuk puts it, violence. Violence is all around. And the question that's uttermost in his mind is the question of why. Why, he asks, why is he witnessing violence and injustice in his time? And what is God going to do about it? This text might be over two and a half thousand years old, but I think it still rings very real in our contemporary world. We too see violence, oppression and injustice and on a scale that Habakkuk would have found incomprehensible. And it is this, this wrestling that Habakkuk gives voice to of the gap between the world as we believe it should be and the reality of the world as it is experienced by us. It's that wrestling, that disparity, that discord that lies at the heart of Habakkuk's message. Why is the world not better? Why are things not the way that they should be? And what in God's name is happening about all of this? Well, our lectionary text for today gives us three short sections from this fascinating book but if you have the time I recommend reading the whole thing through later it's not actually very long so in chapter 1 verses 1 to 4 we saw how the prophet uh, looked around at the world that he was living in uh, Judah under threat northern Israel gone the Egyptians defeated he could see the writing on the wall he was overwhelmed by all of the violence around him. And in verse 3, he asks why God is tolerating all of these evil deeds. He asks why he has to see injustice, oppression, strife and terror in his time. And then in verse 4, the prophet laments that the wicked are overpowering the righteous and that justice is being perverted. Actually, the, the force of his language here is more visceral than this, and it, it comes with a trigger warning. What Habakkuk is saying is that justice 
is being raped and violated before his eyes. And I would invite us to reflect on the fact that in a world where sexual violence is still used as a weapon of war, as some of the stories coming out of Ukraine are, to, are, are demonstrating, and where domestic violence and sexual assault are rife, I think we need to hear again the shocking truth that injustice and sexual violence all too often go together. The Babylonians used rape as part of their domination strategy and we find this reflected in the book of Lamentations chapter 5 verse 11. And my friend Robin Parry comments on this passage. He says, in the ancient world rape was often used as a deliberate strategy of humiliation to signal to opponents that they could not protect their own women. Even after the siege and fall of Jerusalem at the hands of the Babylonians, the situation remained one of ongoing violence in which the women of Judah were raped. There was nowhere safe. Judah's enemies want to make clear who is in control. And it is within this context of war and violence that we hear Habakkuk's lament. How long, O oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not listen? Again, we could write that, couldn't we, into so many situations, all those countries and contexts that we pray for week after week. How long, O oh Lord, shall I cry for help and you will not listen? In the midst of this nightmare, the only thing the prophet can do is to help his people voice their pain, to cry over the anguish they were experiencing. There are no easy answers or solutions on offer here. Echoing the Psalms of Lament, as well as the Book of Lamentations, we hear the prophet crying out to God, Lord, how long? Lord, help us. And Habakkuk's lament joins contemporary laments from all around the world, in which people have found and continue to find that words to name the situations of violence and injustice in their own lives. And this is where resistance begins to creep in. Because it is in the naming, the speaking aloud of the truth of what is happening, that resistance begins to take seed. This stuff will not be allowed to happen unspoken. It's going to happen, but it's not going to happen in silence. Here's the thing, you see, to lament is not to give up, lie down, put dust and ashes on your face and die. To lament is to resist. And the resistance comes by naming the evil, by not allowing the injustice to escape unacknowledged. It's significant to note that violence and terror would continue for a long time. Habakkuk does not bring an end 
to the trials of Israel. And this is evident in the ongoing description of violence that marks the rest of the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk's lament offers no quick fix, but typical of the prophetic voice in the Hebrew Bible. Habakkuk's lament does mean that violence and injustice do not get the last word. And then as we keep reading through the book of Habakkuk, God does actually provide a response. God's answer is, I'm sure, not what Habakkuk would have wanted to hear. Habakkuk hears God saying, wait, be patient. Deliverance is coming, but you will have to wait maybe for generations. This divine response that Habakkuk discerns challenges the easy answers and the quick fixes that humans crave. In Israel's history, the prophet's message would be followed by many more years, decades, generations of violence and injustice. Things would get much worse before they got any better. However, even Amidst the most dire of circumstances, we see how the prophet clings to God's faithfulness and to God's love. He just won't let go of it. I mean, the easiest thing in the world would have been to walk away and say, this is not happening, is it? Let's do something different. Let's fight. Let's, let's do something else. But the prophet just won't let go of the covenant promises of faithfulness and love. And in our journey with the narrative lectionary since September, as we've dipped in and out of the covenant passages of the Hebrew Bible, we see that this setup of God's faithfulness and love that leads to Habakkuk saying, I will not deny the revelation of who God is that has come down to me through my tradition, despite all the evidence to the contrary. And so in chapter three, verse one, we get the prophet praying. It's, it's like a hymn. O Lord, I have heard of your renown, and I stand in awe, O Lord, at your work. In your own time, revive it. In our own time, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. We're going to sing a hymn after the, uh, after the discussion. It's uh, one of Graham Kendrick's great hymn. Restore, O Lord, in all the earth your fame, and in our time revive the church that bears your name, and in your anger, Lord, remember mercy. O living God, whose mercy shall outlast the years. Graham Kendrick, paraphrasing Habakkuk. And Habakkuk reminds the faithful millennia later how important it is to keep on believing in a God that promises deliverance. This unflinching belief in God's ability to make an end to violence is precisely the reason why the book of Habakkuk was banned by the Nazis. This dangerous, subversive idea 
that God will end unjust power was considered too dangerous to be tolerated. Did you know the book of Habakkuk also played a role in South Africa's history, serving as an important source of resistance against the apartheid regime? So Alan Bursak in the tumultuous 1980s preached a sermon in London on Habakkuk 2. Imploring from the pulpit, and I, I tried to find out where he preached, and I couldn't, I couldn't find it. You can find the sermon in one of his books, and it says a sermon preached in London. It wasn't here, I don't think, but it was somewhere. And you can imagine Alan Bursak at the height of the apartheid regime, crying out from a London pulpit, Lord, how long must we wait? In his book, The Tenderness of Conscience, I'm just going to read a bit from it. Bursak says, black consciousness, black power and black theology merged and emerged as the key which unlocked the door to the future for the oppressed people of South Africa at a time when most of us thought that all was lost. These rekindled the almost decayed hope in the hearts of the downtrodden, reasserting the faith of the people in the liberation God of the Exodus, the prophets, and of Jesus of Nazareth, reclaiming the gospel for the poor and the oppressed as they rediscovered and rewrote the vision and ran with it as the prophet Habakkuk enjoins us to do, unleashing the tremendous energies of a people who long before Tarbo and Becky discovered it knew that they were born of a people who would not tolerate oppression. It came at a most opportune time, Bursak goes on. He called it a Kairos moment, a moment of divine timing. And he says it paved the way for the decisive phase of the struggle during the 1980s as it found expression in the United Democratic Front. It became a spiritual force which resisted apartheid. And Bursak quotes John Calvin, who also preached on Habakkuk chapter 2. And this is the quote from John Calvin, the great reformer. Tyrants and their cruelty cannot endure without great weariness and sorrow. Hence, almost the world sounds forth these words, how long, how long? When anyone disturbs the whole world by his ambition and avarice, or everywhere commits plunders or oppresses miserable nations, when he distresses the innocent, all cry out, how long? And this cry proceeding as it does from the feeding of nature and the dictate of justice is at length heard by the Lord. This confusion of order and justice is not to be endured. That's John Calvin. Do you start to get a glimpse into why Habakkuk matters? His message, the truth that Habakkuk knows is that God hears the cry of all those who are suffering under the yoke of unjust regimes and will one day bring an end to violence. This is good news for those who are being oppressed. It is never such good news for those who are abusing their power.
However, as the examples from apartheid South Africa or the Nazi regime show us, situations of violence can last many years or even decades before their turn to end comes. And also in our lives, in your life and mine, we may find ourselves in situations of pain and suffering which seem to be without end. Even the beautiful confession of faith with which Habakkuk ends acknowledges that the situation of violence and suffering is far from over. The fig tree does not blossom. There are no fruit on the vines. There is no livestock in the stalls. And yet, the wonderful thing about Habakkuk's confession is that the believer can say with him, I still choose to believe in a God who gives me the strength to endure because I have hope that the future can be different. Our first Advent candle was the candle of hope. And as Alan Bursack puts it again, the encouragement to overcome lies in knowing with God and Habakkuk that the vision lives. Even though evil seems to prosper and the law is paralysed so that justice never prevails, yet the vision lives. Even though the righteous are trapped and hemmed in and have nowhere to turn and justice is perverted, yet the vision lives. And this is why we read the book of Habakkuk today as our reading for the first Sunday in Advent. Advent, you see, is a time of waiting. Not just waiting for Christmas but of waiting spiritually, a time of recognising before God that the world is not the way the world should be. Advent is a time of longing with hope for a new and better world of justice and peace. The life of faith is at its heart a life of waiting, of faith that God's coming kingdom has not just vanished and that despite the evidence sometimes to the contrary, evil and death do not get to write the last word on our lives. And so we wait for God to act, for God to break into our world, into our lives with news of peace and justice. And as we approach Christmas, we draw near to the celebration of God's intervention in human history in the person of Jesus. But we are conscious that still 2,000 years after that moment, the world is not as it should be. From Palestine to Ukraine, from South Sudan to Ethiopia, from Yemen to Myanmar, and I could go on and on, the world is deeply divided by conflict. And we live in the time between times, between that first advent and the long-awaited second. And in this time between times, we are called to live by faith, longing for justice with a desire that drives us to our knees in prayer, and then from our knees to a life of prayer in lived action. As we live into being, the promise of the in-breaking kingdom of God, living as if it were true until it is true. 
One of the moments that will stay with me from our recent visit to Palestine was our joining in the worship service two weeks ago today with the Christmas Lutheran Church in Bethlehem. Only in Bethlehem can the Lutheran Church be called the Christmas Church. I was invited to assist the minister in the administration of the Eucharist. And as he gave the bread and said the words, I held the cup for people uh, in a COVID safe way to dip their bread into. There we were in David's town, in the church named after the coming of the Prince of Peace. And I was ministering to people who live daily with violence and oppression but who nonetheless still turn up for church on Sundays with the smile of hope on their faces to receive into their bodies the symbol and sign of the broken body of their saviour who was born in their town as a sign of peace and hope. One of those who came forward for communion was Daha Nasser from the farm known as the Tent of Nations, which has been in his family for hundreds of years. We'd visited him at his farm a couple of days earlier, and this uh, smiling man had shown us how he works his land. He had told us of how the bulldozers come in the night to destroy his olive trees, of how young men had come one afternoon earlier this year and beaten him and his brother with iron bars and put them in hospital. He told us how his family farm had been declared state land and of his decades-long legal fight to not be evicted. And then we heard just last week that their case, which was due to be heard at the court, has been deferred for another few months. This has been going on for many years. But still, the stone at the entrance to their property bears its carefully written description, declaring the heart of their Christian faith. They have written on stone, we refuse to be enemies. We refuse to be enemies. As the Lord said to Habakkuk, write the vision, make it plain on stone tablets so that even a runner can read it. It was an immense privilege to be part of his receiving communion and to see his face smile with recognition when he saw me. Friends, the world is not as the world should be. Evil and violence and oppression still stalk the land where Christ was born and the world that Christ came to save. And sometimes all you can do is lament. But we who have lamented with Habakkuk and who have seen with him a glimpse, a vision of a better future, we will not give up. We will live in faith. And faith like this is an act of defiance. Faith like this challenges the powerful and lays low the mighty. Faith like this refuses to ignore the plight of the suffering and faith like this lived in hope opens the doorway to the new world of Christ's coming kingdom. A moment of silent reflection before our panellists offer their reflections and response to what we have been exploring together. But first, a moment of silence.
Well, as Simon has hinted, we now, I, <coughs> I now invite three people to, of our membership to come and give their views on what Simon has been saying to us. Tommaso, Philip and Yudoka are going to join me and I hope they will, well, two of them will walk up and one will be on a video. Oh, you talk on a video as well, I'm sorry. Philip, you're on. Right, Habakkuk, <clears throat> um, extraordinary seems to me. I mean, one of the 12 minor prophets and, um, uh, you know, he doesn't hold it back. I mean, he goes, I mean, the first two verses, he's saying that, oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? I mean, usually with the, you get a bit of biography, a bit of, you know, somebody, somebody begat so-and-so, begat so-and-so, but nothing here. He, he doesn't hold anything back. It's straight, this cry of sheer desolation and desperation. And parallels, of course, with Job, um, seemingly facing an avalanche of frustrations. And <clears throat> this theme um, comes throughout the Bible, obviously, lots of the Psalms and in different forms. Psalm 130, the De Profundis, out of the depths of I cried unto thee, this sort of profound yearning for divine intervention. Um, and reminding uh, of this, a reminder in Corinthians 5, we walk by faith, not by sight, because obviously the sight sometimes uh, doesn't encourage us. But life is uh, a walk by faith. And <clears throat> this comes through lots of uh, the whole history, the Puritans, the church. And uh, I was reminded of this. Uh, I hymn we used to sing, uh, and it's in the old Baptist hymn book, not the new one, I think. Uh, when wilt thou save the people, O God of mercy? When? Not kings alone, but nations, not thrones and crowns, but men or as we'd say, humankind today. So that uh, encourages us to be asking, seeking, and to keep on knocking. And quickly, the word wait, I believe, has much wider ramifications than just sort of waiting for a bus that doesn't turn up, a sort of negative waiting. Um, and most of the biblical ones are stressing expectation, preparation, it's a process, trust, and can be a nourishing and um, lots of well for example musical composers have written on the psalms i waited for the lord mendelssohn something famous uh, right through to taze wait for the lord whose day is near wait for the lord be strong take heart and there are two words i particularly like from um, simon's sermon the word it the inbreaking kingdom of god I think that's extraordinary, and there must be a hundred sermons around that text. The inbreaking kingdom of God and prayer in action. And Pastor, can I just add the great, the, I think the best, um, clearest word in scripture on weight is that in Isaiah 40, and is probably the best known. They who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Thank you.
you, Philip. And now let's turn to Tommaso, if we can pick him up from Germany, I think. Yeah, Tommaso. sure. Thank you, John. Um, yeah, well, it's, it's, it was wonderful reading, really. And one aspect that impressed me um, was the change in tone between the first and the third book, uh, showing how much God's vision you know, had an impact on the prophet's attitude towards suffering. Um, when, when reading the whole book of Habakkuk, it's quite easy, I think, to focus on God's vibrant words, you know, the, the prophecy of the Babylonians sweeping through the land and imposing their rule and so on. But what is particularly remarkable, uh, in my view at least, is the calm and the peace that Habakkuk's final prayers convey. And, and that suggests that his dialogue with God was a truly transformative experience, uh, one that profoundly affects the inner life of anyone meeting God. And that's also something, you know, important and significant to all of us, I think. Thank you. And now, Odoka. Can you hear me? Yes. Yeah. Um, a really interesting one because I think that is a question that um, both Christians and non believers are asking with increasing frequency. Um, and it happens, like, especially amongst the books about the centering on a prophet, is quite unique because it doesn't really just focus on the sense of lamentation and despair and questioning God when we're looking around you and you can't feel any evidence of God working. Um, with that, I think that, first of all, I think it's something comforting about knowing that these questions have always been asked. Um, and that sense of searching for God. Um, I mean, we're reading in the Bible, so we do know that God intervenes eventually in, in situations. But also that, like, the same empathy and despair led Habakkuk to ask these questions and made him an excellent leader to his people, even in the space of despair. Um, God always has a plan, I think, but I think that there's always, there's very much a space for that sense of questioning and doubtfulness um, and sadness and also the grief, because aside from what's happening in Ukraine and in Palestine, in so many areas that are riven by war, you also have like climate crisis and climate grief amongst so many other things. Um, in our relationship with God, and even if we're like looking at God and saying like, but where are you in this situation? We can still find comfort in knowing that um, he's very much still there. He's still caring. Um, especially because they're thinking of it in a kind of historical sense. There are so many people that have cried out to God and they don't get the, you know, Jesus coming, coming through and healing them or bringing people back to life. And sometimes like that is, it is the end of the story or it is like a situation that doesn't have any easy resolution. But even in that space of confusion, God is very much still there. I think that's what I tend to take from the book.
Well, we move back abroad and I'll ask Tommaso now to lead us in prayer. Let us pray. Almighty and eternal God, we gather in your presence this morning, bringing forward our hopes and our concerns, our dreams and our fears. Conscious of our own weaknesses, aware of how limited our understanding of current and past events can be. As societies all over the world grapple with manifold challenges, from wars to infectious diseases, from climate change to food and energy shortages, we admit that trusting you can be difficult at times. And some of us, at different moments in their lives, have struggled to feel your presence or grasp your grand design for us. Oh Lord, we recognize that the comfort and the joy that come from your award are much needed. And that we pray because your guidance and your inspiration are essential to us. Without them, as individuals, as well as members of this community, we are bound to falter. Amidst the evil we do and that we witness every day, may we be reminded of the importance of living by faith, particularly when we are encouraged or forced to comply with social and legal norms that are neither just nor fair. And when the leaders of the land of wickedness seem to have the upper hand, may we fully appreciate that denouncing violence and resisting oppression is our duty, no matter the cost. And speaking truth to power lies at the root of our ability to break free from sin. Loving God, we pray for those who are experiencing moral, psychological, and physical suffering or deprivation. Regardless of their status, class, age, nationality, ethnicity, religion, gender, or ideas. Being creators of God, may they realize that the domineering forces breaking havoc, like the Egyptians in the Exodus, will sooner or later lie dead upon the seashore. Loving God, we pray for those who, being in better shape, less affected by pain or need, may end up standing aloof from brothers and sisters in trouble, being blind to their predicament, 
and lulling themselves into a false sense of security. May they remember that you provided us with the strength to endure the tribulations of life, but also with the courage and the skills to lift the burdens of others. Finally, loving God, we pray for ourselves. Deep down in our hearts, we know that we too are not immune from those temptations and failings. We too, O oh Lord, have fallen short of living up to your call to universal compassion and inclusion. May we hear your voice clearer and louder as we, like Habakkuk, stand at our watch and station ourselves on the ramparts, waiting for your reply to our questions and our complaints, for the heart will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Amen. As our worship comes to an end, may we resume our service to the world. And as we anticipate our Saviour's birth, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. <laughs>